couple of reminders, okay? Uh, two things. One, we get to celebrate after this message Holy Communion, a way that God shows how He's faithful to us. So, as if you're like me, like I always do, I come in here and I forget the communion elements, right? Don't be shy. Raise your hand. Our host team will come and just. Thanks, Aaron, for raising it high. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> we, sometimes we forget. I get it. But they will come and give you those communion elements. And if you weren't here early in, in, in the, the service, I made an announcement that, that at least this service uh, for my message is kind of a PG-13 message. So if you have children in your midst, we're talking on uh, Hosea. And Hosea is a little crazy book because it talks about uh, promiscuity and prostitution and adultery and all those things. So if you uh, want to take uh, just to be a Available and have our kids go to the next gen ministry classes that are available. You can choose to do that. This message is PG 13. I'm still writing the second message for next week, so I don't think it's going to be quite that. Just a fair warning to you. If you're watching online, okay, this service is available to view on our YouTube channel immediately after this. So you might want to turn it off right now and then watch it and then, you know, have your kids, whatever, you know what I mean. Love you guys out there. Okay, um, so Hosea, why don't we just let's pray? Host team's still coming. I think there's still one down here. Okay, let's just pray. God, I ask your blessing now uh, as the words that uh, come out of my mouth and the preparation that I had, it would be pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, for everybody that hears that they would just, uh, you would have, uh, give us eyes and hearts to focus, Holy Spirit, that you're the teacher. So please bless this time right now. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so... Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of our country, said these words about 283 years ago. He said, keep your eyes wide open before marriage, half shut afterwards. Not bad. This is a little golden nugget of wisdom, right? I mean, keep your eyes wide open, meaning, you know what, you better know who you're marrying, right? But after you're married, don't be so nitpicky about all their faults, yeah? Some good marriage advice from Benjamin Franklin, who I think was one, the only one of the founding fathers to sign all four articles of whatever it took to make us a country. You can look it up later or online right now. That's what I saw. I don't know if that's accurate. But if I asked you, <laughs> fact check me, go ahead. Uh, I asked, if I asked you to make a list for yourself or the one, a list that you'd recommend to others uh, about what important character traits or qualities that you would have in a spouse, what would that list contain? I wrote some things down. Maybe it's loving, maybe it's selfless, maybe it's honest, strong morals, a sense of humor, forgiving. What would you put down? What would be on that list? As a follower of Jesus, of course, a shared faith in him, right, w would be something that, that would be on the top of the list, but maybe some of these other qualities as well. What will be on yours? For the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about a quality that I think may not make that list right away. When you're looking at someone as a spouse, why doesn't it make that list right away? Because you're googly-eyed loving them and you're thinking, wow, you know, that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Their fancy car, their checkbook, whatever it is, the same hobbies, you're just you're googly-eyed for them. But I guarantee that if you've been married for a little length of time, you would cherish and realize how important this character is, character trait would be. What is it? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Important not just in marriages, but also in a relationship between parent and child, also between best friends or in the workplace. Whatever it is, whatever season or age of life, faithfulness is so important. Wouldn't you agree? 
Bill Webster's dictionary definition says this, that it's a commitment, a loyalty, a performance of, of promises and constancy and uh, affection. One clarification that I want to make as we start this series about faithfulness is this, that it's not describing how someone feels about someone else. What do I mean? A wife is not faithful toward her husband in that she's full of faith in him. That would be the quality of trusting in him. Does that make sense? Rather, faithfulness is that quality that her husband possesses if he's worthy of her faith. Make sense? It's important to make this differentiation because as Pastor Joe led us through uh, these past few weeks about being faithful to God, that we're faithful in God because of His presence in our lives. We know His character. We know that He's always with us despite living in whatever situation we're living in. And that causes us to have peace and trust. So this week, I'm just going to talk a little bit more about faithfulness, faithfulness as a pledge or a vow to be devoted, to be dependable, to always be there, to be constant and keep promises that are made. So many of you I know, sadly, most of us know of marriages that end in divorce due to unfaithfulness, unfaithfulness. Some of you might experienced a, a close friendship that ended because, you know, there was a lack of commitment or there was disloyalty, right? Faithfulness is a key component in the Scriptures, in marriages. In fact, the Bible talks all about our relationship to God in the form of marriage, kind of the ways I've identified. We're going to read that in the book of Hosea. But in marriage, you might say, you use these words for unfaithfulness, right? Adultery, marital infidelity, basic cheating. We know that. And I know some of you experienced that. I just talked to a person at the end of the service and said it was a tough message, but thank you. She said, Pastor Tony, because we needed to hear it. Some of you experienced that. And I, can't, I can't imagine the pain you're going through, went through, and maybe you're one of the ones that was the one that was unfaithful. Yet you're here because you know that God is faithful. God is the one who forgives. God is the one who loves. When we make this covenant on our wedding day, we promise, don't we? We promise to that other individual that we're marrying our undivided love and our faithfulness, that our spouse counts on us to be singularly focused on them and not seek others. I mean, God made it so, so, so much so that even Jesus himself says, this is how important faithfulness is. Because if you're married and you're not faithful, he makes an exception that you can get a divorce, right? In Matthew 19, he says that. That's how important faithfulness is to God. I mean, children, my water's leaking. Uh-oh. I don't know what it is, but I've, sorry. Aaron? Okay, I'm just trying to get wet here. Children, best friends, when we experience that, I mean, just think about this as a child. If you're not faithful as a parent to your child, if you don't keep your promises, if you're not committed to their best, I mean, isn't that hurtful? If you, if you love them conditionally and not unconditionally? Think about a best friend. They're impacted by our unfaithfulness. What if you speak behind their back? What if you gossip? I mean, those friendships, they just come to an end. 
I mean, the reason faithfulness, what we're talking about today, is so important, and those other qualities, if you want to look at that list again, why is it so important to talk about these? Because it's about who God is. He is perfect in all these qualities, even a sense of humor. God is all those things perfectly. He gives marriage then on earth as a picture, a snapshot really of what relationships are all about. Our relationship to God is described in the scriptures as one of being married. That we are married to the bridegroom who is who? Who is it? Are you with me? Who? Jesus, right? I mean, can you think about that? We're we're, we're in a one flesh kind of union with Jesus if you're following him. That's incredible. And he also gives us that pattern for a husband and wife becoming one flesh. One book of the Bible that talks about that is the book of Hosea. So if you want to take out your Bibles, we're going to be in Hosea. We're going to kind of bounce around from chapters 1 to 2 to 3. There's 14 chapters in it. We're not going to read all word for word these chapters, but I'm going to cover 1 to 3 today, 4 to 16 next week. And because this book is, guess how old it is? About 2,800 years old. It's an old book, isn't it? We're going to get a little bit of some historical and cultural kind of understanding before we actually read its words. So a few quick things before we read Hosea. First, just kind of giving you the historical setting, okay? People lived in this time in a divided kingdom. So the kingdom of Israel, if you know your, your history of ancient Israel, and you do, right? You remember how they screamed out? We want a king, God. We want a king, just like all the other nations. Give us a king. And God going, no, you don't want a king. No, you don't. Yeah, we do, God. We want a king. Give us a king. So about a thousand years before Jesus, they, they get the king, King Saul, right? And then David and Solomon, and it's kind of like the height of Israel's uh, uh, power in, in, in the land. But then now we're 800 years. We're, we're, we're after Solomon, and the, the kingdom is divided between northern Israel, which is a bigger part, but unfaithful Israel, and southern Judah. Okay, so it's a divided kingdom. And in, in the north, by the way, Hosea is the only prophet to come from the northern kingdom. And he preaches for about 40 years. God's people were divided. Hosea's life, he goes through in a span of 40 years of preaching many kings in a short time span this political chaos. Sound familiar? The second thing to keep in mind about this is that what are Old Testament prophets like? What are they? Who are they? They're major prophets, okay, and they're minor prophets. Major doesn't mean because they're bigger or larger. Major because they have larger volumes of work. So, prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, those are major prophets because of the body of work they have. The minor prophets like Hosea and Amos and Obadiah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Jonah, besides having hard names to pronounce, right? They're smaller bodies of work, but essentially, I'll just say this, they're strange dudes. Prophets are strange dudes. And they've been given hard assignments by God. Ezekiel. You know what God told Ezekiel to do? Lay on your left side for 390 days. What? Yeah, because it represents 390 years of Israel's sin each day. What do you tell Isaiah to do? 
pretty much go naked throughout the countryside preaching. I mean, the Bible says naked, but it's not really naked. Just preach in your underwear for three years, Tony. What? Yeah. Shame and humiliation essentially go with the prophet's message, along with warnings, right? The Old Testament prophets, essentially their lives were flashing warning lights to people. Hey, God needs to get, it's just like pastors, you know, that you, when we use visual aids, it kind of is like that. The, the message that the pastor bring are kind of extended similes, or the prophets bring extended similes or metaphors. So as Hosea or Amos is like this, so the nation of Israel will be like this. Make sense? Are you with me? Last point. It's a cultural point about how kind of ancient civilizations view deities or gods. Okay, so the nations around Israel in the ancient Near East, nations like Egypt and Canaan and Mesopotamia, all those countries around, they had an extremely different view of deities. Their mythologies, these pagan people had gods and goddesses, and this is important to keep in mind as we read Hosea. They had gods and goddesses that were violent and accessible, kind of volatile and dominating. That's the view of the people uh, towards the gods. Gods like this, Baal and Ashtoreth. Two gods that are kind of mentioned in the Bible frequently. Fertility gods. Baal, the male fertility god. Ashtoreth, the, the female mother goddess, right? In the ancient Near East, they were made, that basically people thought, these gods made me, we're just afterthoughts because all our life is to just serve them and make them happy. That's the kind of, of way. That's why you, they sacrifice their children in the fire to, to these gods. And so their view of humanity was very low. On the other hand, Israel's view of humanity was really high. From Genesis chapter 1, we're created in the image of God. And because of that, our view of God is totally different than all the other nations. The other nations where they have to build statues, right? Because it's a reminder, oh yeah, that God is there, but, but our omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God, right? That's given to us just by seeing another human being. If you see another human being, you see another living creature, you're reminded of God's presence. That's the major difference. You see another person, you understand Yahweh made them, or God, right? For the other nations, human beings weren't valued to that degree. Okay, one more difference before we get into the text, and that's that word, if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Joe say, kesed, okay? I was joking around last week because I, don't, I think you pronounce it differently, but my Hebrew professor said kesed, so I was like, kesed. Doesn't matter, it's just being north and south, who knows. Kesed, it's that kind of steadfast love, mercy, covenant, faithfulness. What is Kesed in Scripture? Well, when you see one of the most enduring marriages that you can think of, you've seen of somebody, you know, married 60, 70 years, whatever, that's it. That's Kesed. You see a, uh, an athletic team bonding together, right, to achieve a goal. Loving on each other doesn't matter what soldiers, right, going through hell and high water together, nonprofits who achieve these goals, you know, that's the Kesed kind of thing. It originates from God. It means steadfast and loving, always there. And that's who our God is. He's the ultimate promise keeper, right? And he's the ultimate promise maker. He's always faithful. So keeping those things in mind, we're going to open up the Bible. We're going to go to chapter 2. And after chapter 2, we might back, bounce back to 1 and go back to 3, but uh, Hosea 1 through 3 today. So in Hosea 2, we're told this, that God's kesed is so great and strong that he's not going to forsake his people. 
Will they go through some hard times? Yet, yes. But ultimately, he's going to have his faithful love because he made his promise, right, to Abraham and Moses and David, all of them. And so I want you to look at verses 19 through 20 of Hosea 2, and I want you to listen to this marriage type of language that God stays faithful even though Israel is unable to exhibit this kessid, God will. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice. And here's the word kessid, love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. See, in response to God's loving faithfulness, his kessid, we acknowledge him. So let me ask you, Have you ever experienced that kind of love, that enduring kind of love, that tender and faithful love? Maybe from a spouse, maybe from a parent or a grandparent or a brother or a sister or teacher. Have you experienced that? Because if you have, it changes you. It impacts you deeply, doesn't it? So much so that when you experience God's faithful love, it changes us. And so the story of Hosea is a story about a prophet who acts out in his life God's faithfulness. And we're going to see how he does it. Take a look at chapter 1 now, verse 2. How God tells Hosea, this is what you're going to do. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, and remember, prophets spoke God's words to people. Okay, so when he spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman. Have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim. And keep in mind that some scholars think that, that Gomer here was already a promiscuous woman. And some think she wasn't yet, but God knew she would be. And she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Yisrael, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Yisrael. I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Skip to verse 6. Gomer conceived again. And I think it's interesting to note here in in, in verse 6, it doesn't say that she conceived necessarily with Hosea. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhama, which means not loved. Wait a minute, God. You're telling me to call my firstborn punished, and you're telling me to call my secondborn not loved? For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Skip to verse 8. So she weaned Lo-Ruhama. Gomer had another son after that. And the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For... You are not my people, and I am not your God. You want to be a prophet of God? Whew. Call your first three children punished, not loved, not my people? I think Jose felt knowing that his wife would be adulterous. That is a tough situation. Tough, more than tough. And but, but, but God is really showing his people this is it. Our relationship is like Hosea's marriage right now. And it's bad. And God's a jealous God. And rightly so. He wants a relationship with us to be loving and intimate and lasting, like a groom and a bride that desire that for their married life. God wants and he deserves to be number one in all our lives. And he's hurt 
then. And he's disrespected when we put anything else above him. Israel, Judah too, unfaithful Judah, were like Gomer, committing adultery. So let's go to chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, I will not show my love to her children because they are children of adultery. Their mother, and I want you to think so much about uh, Gomer in this situation, but when, when, when he writes, Hosea writes, their mother has been unfaithful. It means Israel has been unfaithful, has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. They're making other things more important than the true God. Skip to verse 7. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for I was better off than now. She's acknowledged that I was the one. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Can you hear God's heart, right? Therefore, I will take away my grain. And God's saying, well, you're going to do this. You're going to continue to do this. Not just for one day, for one year, but 390 years, right? Long time. Well, I'll take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. In love, he's doing this. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. Skip to verse 13. I'll punish her for the day she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she, but me, she forgot, declares the Lord. I mean, this sad situation in, in Hosea's life and family is mirroring the situation with Israel and God. They need discipline, right? Consequences happen to see how pitiful their situation is so that they would turn back to God, yet God remains faithful. How do I know God remains faithful? Because he charges Hosea to be faithful too. You see Hosea's faithfulness, you see God's faithfulness. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, go. Here it is. How is God faithful? Go. Show your love to your wife again. Though she's not loved by it, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods, God shows through Hosea, right? The pain and utter betrayal of this kessid never stops. Love this woman who utterly broke your heart, Hosea, because that's how I love Israel. Yeah, she cheats on you. Yeah, she's going to leave you. Yeah, she finds satisfaction with other guys. She doesn't appreciate you. She makes you the gossip of the whole town, right? But love her anyway, because that's how I love Israel. I mean, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this Kessid kind of love. It really is. But this is what God is saying. This is what it feels like when you put anything before me in your life. It's like watching a person you love the most in the arms of another lover. See, some of you know exactly that kind of pain. And I'm sorry about that. But that's what it feels like to God. The Israelites, they turn to idol worship. And I'll talk about that more next week, what that's all about. But they forsook the relationship that they have with their creator. 
And as human beings, we have a hard time wrapping around our minds about how God still loves us. Because he will remain faithful, even when his people are not. He will continue to fulfill the covenant promises he makes to us. Covenant promises in his word, all throughout the scriptures, covenant promises that started for us at your baptism. Aaron, you're my child, you always will be. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Corey, Nathan. I can't be see behind the first row. No. <laughs> Think about that. God's calling your name. He made that promise. He's going to be faithful to it. Amen? Amen? It's awe-inspiring when, when a spouse forgives an unfaithful husband or wife and they rebuild their relationship. I've seen it happen personally in my friendships. It's unbelievable to watch that. It's awesome. That's Kessid kind of love. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. God treats, he's going to show us how he treats those who are unfaithful to him. He says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. In that day when you were baptized, in that day when Jesus died for you, you'll no longer call me my master. You're going to call me friend. Husband, I will remove the names of the Baals from their lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them. Verse 19, I will, we read this already, betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. That's what he's given us. He's given us faith in the Holy Spirit and righteousness. I'll betroth you in faithfulness, kessid faithfulness and love. And you will acknowledge me then. And that day I'll respond, declares the Lord. I'm going to respond how? Verse 23. I'm going to plant her for myself in the land. He's given us the promised land, hasn't he? Eternity. I will show my love, my kessed love, to the one I called not my loved one. Can you imagine that, that uh, son or daughter that was married? It's called that name. What? You're going to show me love? Whew. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. You see, this beautiful reconciliation happens because of God's faithfulness. He restores relationship. Hosea shows his love for his wife again. And the next thing that happens to Hosea is even more dramatic because in, in chapter 3, we find that Gomer pretty much is on the auction block. Maybe her days of prostitution are over. Maybe she's old. Maybe she's worn out. Maybe her pimp didn't think she was worth it anymore. And then she gets sold as a slave. She's probably naked and ashamed in front of potential buyers. Can you imagine that? And who shows up to buy her back? Hosea. In verse 2, it tells us for how much the price of a slave, 15 shekels, about 6 ounces of silver, about 430 pounds of barley. Hosea pays a price to get his unfaithful wife back. She was redeemed. Sound familiar? In your life, in my life, I was confirmed in, in, in the Lutheran church when I was an adult. And I was 20-something years old, 25, 26, 27, I can't remember, right before I got married. And the pastor, I remember I was here. He comes down. He says, Tony, here's the word I have for you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. You are not 
your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Didn't know how much that verse comes back to me, but it's one of my favorite verses. And by the way, Hosea is uh, the favorite book of my wife. She's not even here today to see it. So, hey, love you, babe, if you're watching with grandkids of ours. No, I think she was, that was yesterday. But 1 Corinthians 6.19, think about this. When did God do this? I, I love how it's, a, it, it's, not a, it's an undefinite article, a price. You can't even put it, a price on how God, what God did to buy you back. When he died on the cross, when he rose again from the dead, he showed us how much cassid love he has for each and every one of us. Can you imagine what he did? He puts his own cloak around us, his righteousness to cover up our sinfulness. As I imagine Hosea covering up his wife's right nakedness with a coat, so he does that with us. One more spot I want to show you, Hosea, as we close. Chapter 3, verse 3. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way toward you. Now the last part of that verse can be translated, and I will be to you. I will be yours. Happy early Valentine's Day. That's next week. But I will be yours. This kessid commitment, loyalty, fulfilling of promises, this constant see and affection. It's incredible. It should be at the top of our list for qualities to look for in any relationship. Whether you're going to get married, whether you have your children, whether you have best friends, it doesn't matter. Being loved by God with this kessid kind of love. It's life-changing. And really, it's a love that we need more than a spouse, more than a best friend, more than anything. We need the love of Jesus. Amen? Next week, I'm going to be talking more about Hosea 4 through 14, and I'm going to challenge us to consider what's it mean to cling to these kind of idols that cause us to be unfaithful, and what's God's word for us? Return to me. Be reconciled. Look, Every week we have this opportunity to remember God's faithfulness. Every week we have the opportunity to come here and say, God, I acknowledge I have not been faithful to you. In my thoughts and in my words, in my deeds, this is what I've done. But God says, I'm a Kesed God. I love you. So guess what? I'm going to give you my body and my blood so that you would know you're forgiven. Would you take some moments now, prepare your hearts to receive that and just confess to God your unfaithfulness. I mean, if you just go through the commandments, right? Have I loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? No. What did I do this week that caused me to say I want something more than you, God? What didn't I do that I should have done? You know, the Bible says this, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
But if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's my privilege to announce God's grace to you, his loving, faithful, kessed kind of love, that when you can make that confession, you know because of the cross and the empty tomb, your sins are forgiven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all God's people say, amen. You take out your communion elements, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. The same way also after supper he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Brothers and sisters of Christ, take eat the body of Christ given unto death for you. take and drink the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. We have a Kessid God, don't we? He loves you dearly.